Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for life and leadership in Christ. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony and I'm your host. I care deeply and passionately about helping you connect in your full identity in Christ. I love working with leaders all over the U.S., helping them live out their calling and their identity in Jesus. Today on the podcast, comedian and author Jeff Allen. Jeff has got an incredible story full of twists and turns and divorce and remarriage and cocaine and drinking. It's all the things. And it's funny. Guys, he's funny. You're going to really love this episode. Um, If you love to hear a good comeback story and what it means to quit drinking and embrace Jesus, you're going to want to listen to this. As always, guys, I'm super thankful for you. The highest compliment you can give me, share this episode with a friend. If you love it, if it made an impact, share it with somebody you know. Now, without any further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Jeff Allen. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited today to have author and comedian Jeff Allen. Jeff, thank you so much for being here. Oh, that's great. Uh, I get this feeling of deja vu. You ever have that? I think I have this. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, I uh, I love to start the podcast with kind of a macro perspective. And so um, I'm curious, how would you describe the calling that God has placed on your life? Oh, wow. That's an interesting question. Um, boy, I, you know what? I, I, that's a great question. I am. Um, I've, I've been doing this since I, I, I was 22 years old. So um, I, I gave my life to Christ when I was almost 40. Hmm. So I was about 18 years deep into doing stand-up comedy. And um, it's, it's an interesting thing as I, as we were putting the book together, um, uh, it, the book is written from the ages of 30 to 38. Um, from the time I got married to the time I gave my life to Jesus. And um, in those years of recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. And the reason I wanted really to write it was for today's millennial, who's in those Mm -hmm. ages, where um, I wouldn't have used the word lost, but in hindsight, I look back, I was lost. Um, I had no sense of, of direction at all. So if calling is direction, um, I really just want to make people laugh. I mean, that, you know, it's funny. I never looked at it as a ministry until I came out of COVID. Um, when I, when I started doing shows after COVID, I had to have men my age, uh, at my shows coming over to me, their wives would be going to the bathroom and they would start telling me this is the first time in over a year they've heard their wife laugh. Mm. And I fell in love with my wife because of her laugh. Um, she was a smoker 37 years ago and smokers have a great laugh. I mean, you know, <laughs> when, when you, when you cannot get oxygen into your lungs, that's, that's actually music. The, the gasping, gagging, wheezing that everybody's annoyed by is, is a symphony of joy to a comic. So, you know, uh, I felt it. So to, to imagine going a year without hearing my wife laugh, uh, would be heartbreaking. So, I, I kind of looked at what I did differently after that. It's like, okay, maybe this is God's calling on my life. Maybe, you know, um, uh, just to make people laugh 
is enough. Um, mm. And, um, you know, the book is, um, again, written from a time in our life when we were definitely lost from um, any semblance of, of or any connection to the divine, that's for sure. Uh, and I can certainly speak to a life disconnected um, because I I don't ever want to go back there. I mean, the, the, you know, anybody who's walked with Jesus, uh, I don't, I, I, again, I don't speak for anybody, but I can tell you this, there were times where I just said, this is exhausting, trying mm-hmm. to live up to a standard. And I had a great I call him a seed planter. These are people God puts into my life for a brief moment. And I was talking after a show one night about I'm just exhausted. Um, I can't, I, I, I just basically saying I'm not good enough. It's interesting. I wasn't raised in a church, but it took me about five years to start becoming a legalist as a believer, you know. Mm. And um, he finally said to me, so what you're saying to me is God's grace isn't enough for you. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, if you think you got to earn or B, then you're not in um, Christ, you know. And um, it took me a while to chew on that on the way back to the hotel, but um, he was right. Um, I started performing and not well enough and not good enough. And it was one of those where I said, all right, I just can't do this. You know, I think it was Chesterton that said um, it wasn't that Christianity was tried and found wanting. It was tried, found too difficult, and abandoned. And the reason it's difficult is because we have a hard time. We're a performance-based culture. Everything is about performance. You know, what do you do? First question people ask, what do you do? You know, be great if they said, who are you in? Who, who, who's the Lord of your life? <laughs> or, or what's the Lord of your life? And that would be a great conversation starter because it's like, oh, I never looked at it. I don't know, money. You know, I, wanna, I want a lot of money. So money's the Lord of my life, you know, or, or whatever. And um, I just started going through the uh, program Pure Desire again. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I, I can't believe I got away from it for three or four years. It's just it's something that I think f- from here on out will be part of my daily life or certainly um, a part of every year I do. I'll go through that um, seven pillars um, because it's just a constant reminder of um, who is the Lord of your life. You know, and um, everything else seems to be better because of that. You know, the anxiety isn't as much and all the other stuff that comes with a performance. One of the interesting things about um, your comedy and kind of the work that you do, your your ministry, if I can call it that, is that it's it's what I refer to as sneaky Jesus. So it's not like overtly <laughs> Jesus, like you're not out there like Bible thumping, but you're very clearly giving biblical thoughts to everyday situations. And I'm, I'm always curious about people's creative processes. I believe that we serve a creative God. Yeah. Um, how, how do you come up with the comedy, the bits? I, I was, I recently watched a, a, one of your YouTube videos about the difference between being a 2.0 and a 4.0, and you just weren't exactly sure how to land it. And I, I, the whole, the whole pro- as somebody who communicates regularly, I was dying. And also I was like, this is fascinating. So take me behind the curtain a little bit on, on what, what, what do you do to create content? Well, it's interesting. I'll give you an example of the latest one. My wife and I were on vacation uh, in Montana and our grandkids live up there. So we, I had a show in Spokane, which is three hours from Missoula. So I said to Tammy, Hey, why don't you come up to me with to Spokane 
um, she has rules about my comedy of her attending. It has to be five days in one place and an ocean nearby. And those are <laughs> it limits you know, how many times sure. she comes out with me. So anyway, I told her, I go, look, I got one day in Spokane. I said, I'll tell you what, I will take you over to Coeur d'Alene, which is like an hour from where I'm working. And we'll get a, we'll get a room at the, uh, at the resort there. And uh, it'll be a nice couple of days. And then we'll go to Missoula and visit the grandkids. Well, that's all she needed to hear. She was going to see the grandkids. So uh, anyway, we were in the car for a lot. We drove a lot. And at one point I looked at her. We were about two days into or three days into our trip. And I said, did you ever notice that every one of our conversations anymore turned into a game of charades? And she says, what are you talking about? I go, she started with, um, I, I saw that guy you worked with in New York on TV the other day. And I go, what guy? She goes, that guy. You know the guy. I go, no, I don't know the guy. I, you know, was it New York City? I work? He goes, I don't know. Was Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse? You know, those are the only places I work in New York. She goes, Jeff, I don't know. I said, well, what do you look like? Well, he was a white guy. I go, well, that narrows it down. I go, you know, tall, short. She goes, well, your height. So six foot? No, he wasn't that tall. And he's not my height. I, you know. And then eventually we get to no conclusion, and she just drifts off and looks out the window. And I, I, that's when it hit me. I said, we, together, we have a good brain. We just have to work it out together. I mean, we can't remember a darn thing. And I'll start the same thing. Hey, let's, let's grab a bite at that place. It was like in California. What was the name of that place we ate in California? And she goes, what place? And I go, I, I can't remember the name of the place. Was it seafood? No, it wasn't seafood. It was, you know, and then we start the whole thing all over again. You know, and um, so that's the newest one. Uh, and uh, to make comedy out of it, first of all, I the comments I'm getting afterwards from people are saying, "That's us. That's that's exactly our yeah. life." Is and then later on in the show, I recall it by you know, I just out of nowhere just start. She wakes up one night, and starts screaming at me, "Jeff Jenna, Jeff Jenna, Jeff Jenna." I go, "What about him?" She goes, "That's the guy in New York. I couldn't remember his name." <laughs> And uh, so that's where the comedy came in. I, I wanted to recall it. Like, I, And the great thing about that particular thing is if I get lost and I don't know where I'm going, which happens a lot lately, I can just throw that in. I can just just and that just gets a laugh when there was a lull. So you had so much time doing comedy before you got sober and then a lot more time since sobriety. And and really, you're kind of that catalyst moment with the Lord in the middle of it. Um, What's the difference in comedy with alcohol and cocaine and without? Well, I can tell you it was, it's a hard thing. It's an, it's an anger thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's, it's just a hard thing. You know, I I wrote in the book uh, because this was so profound to me. Um, I was talking to a guy after a show and he said he had worked with somebody uh, relatively famous out in the West West coast. And the the, the relatively famous guy bombed and the Mm. guy I was talking to did really well. So they're riding back to the hotel and the really famous guy says, yeah, that was a good show. And the guy thought he was talking about him. He goes, thank you. He goes, no, I'm not talking about your show. I'm talking about mine. And the guy says, with all due respect, you're bombed. He goes, nah, not really. He said, when I looked out into the audience, the people that were laughing were people I would handpick to be in my show. Wow. So I was connecting with the people I thought I, I wanted to connect with. 
So there came a point, I remember leaving a show in North Carolina somewhere, Charlotte, I think it was. And the I realized the people coming up to me were men with wife beater shirts and tats and drunk. And you must be married to the same bitch I'm married to and, and that kind mm. of thing, you know. And it was not a good feeling. I'd go back to my room and sit and go, these are not guys I want to have a drink with. They're not people I want to know. And I, I think it was the second time Tammy saw me in Arizona where she left in tears that I really, wow. I really connected that I needed to, you know, I had women club owners that wouldn't hire me because of the way I talked about her. And uh, the only thing that changed was my heart. I mean, I, I didn't change the material. I really didn't. Uh, and, and the things that I said, um, you know, I, it, there was a different attitude that hmm. shone through. And my prayer every night, it was kind of what the prayer we led with today is. You know, my prayer is uh, when I walk out on that stage, don't let them see me. Let them see you. Let them hear you. Let them feel you, you know. And um, that's the only thing I can say is I, I – and I always check. You know, it's interesting. I, I have such – because especially with cancel culture the way it is today – um, yeah, I always, I had a woman come over to me about a joke I did about a, an effeminate flight attendant, a male, you know, hi everybody, I'm Russell, you know, and, um, she said, what do you think parents of gay children would feel about that? And I said, well, I hope they laugh. And she says, well, I didn't think it was funny. And I said, well, you're entitled to that. That's kind of what comedy is. It's a pretty subjective thing. But I said, if you could tell me where there was any malice in what I did, I'll take it out. I'll drop it tomorrow. But I said, you're going to have a hard time because there was nothing malicious about it. It was an impersonation of a flight attendant. And if you think a, a, an effeminate male flight attendant is a stretch, you don't fly. So, um, and I, I have a three rule. If I get three emails on something, then maybe I'll look at it. Um, but my, I remember when I first started working churches, I called a friend of mine up. And um, he was a manager of some really big, famous Christian artists. And I said, uh, I'm concerned because I've never worked at church before. I don't want to offend anybody. And he said, if you're in a church and your lips are moving and words are escaping from your lips, you're going to offend somebody. Preach. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, at the end of the night, you got to look in the mirror and ask yourself, you know, um, hmm. if your intent so I don't never satirize the church. People asked why I never, you know, satirize. I said, because I'm not versed enough in church yeah. to know. I said, to do good satire, you have to at least be conscious of whose toes you're trying to step on, you know. And I wasn't aware of it. I didn't know where the sacred cows were. I don't I don't know. I remember the first time some woman came over to me, I, I, I finally used a verse in my show uh, from the Bible then drew some comedy from the verse and a woman comes over to me after the show and she says, um, I almost didn't know what you were talking about. We only read the King James version in our house. <laughs> See, you laugh, but I didn't know anything about it. So the, the guy that, the guy that hired me this, uh, to perform, I told him the story and he goes, Oh my Lord, I thought we weeded those people out years ago. <laughs> Again, I, I don't know anything about it. That's how ignorant I am. I don't know that, you know, I was, the first Bible I was sent was NIV. 
and yeah. uh, that's the one I predominantly use. Uh, I, I I started reading, I think the NSB because a, a pastor I listened to online, Tommy Nelson on a Denton seemed to, or yeah, maybe it was ASB. It's one of whatever Bible he uses. I just because I listened to him so many times, I just wanted to read what he was reading instead of you know the, the, the differences in the. Uh, the thing, but I didn't know there was a thing with the King James. I, I thought it was kind of odd that you would think Jesus, who spoke Aramaic, would speak that way. But uh, I don't know. Uh, whatever works for I, you, man. I'm, I'm, I love the vulnerability of the book. I think it's a, you did a beautiful job of. Um, I can hear after watching some of your videos. I can hear your humor in the writing. Um, and hear your tone and your dialect. I'm, I'm curious about the creative differences. What was it like for you to write a book after <gasps> doing um, the short kind of, you know, stand-up's got a little bit more bite to it. And this is more like, I always say that writing a book's like birthing a baby. And, um, and so talk to me about the differences from your perspective. Well, that's astute for you to pick up on that because comedy is about brevity. Um, it's about taking out words and getting to the point. Um, and especially, you know, uh, now my audience, they're a little older and church people, that was the gift of working churches. Churches are used to listening to someone speak for 45 minutes without heckling them. I mean, I've never <laughs> seen a pastor yeah. heckled in the middle of a sermon. So it was you know, only I, once. I learned, it's only happened to me once. They got up and left. <laughs> I, cut my, I cut my chops in clubs, you know, and, and, Believe me, if you didn't get them in 30 seconds, they would let you know, you know. So I learned to get to the point, you know. And um, writing a book, uh, it would have been 17 pages if I wrote it for stand-up, <laughs> you know. Uh, this happened, this happened, this happened, and now this is where we're at, you know. And um, I had to get an editor. Um, I hired an editor uh to help me. Otherwise it would have been 400 pages. Probably. And I said, you just pick out to me what you feel will be relevant to a reader. I I'm, I'm too connected to all of it. It's personal. And that's what was hard. I started probably 10 years ago. Um, my wife, mm. um, was, who's as much more astute than I am pointed out that, did you know that your faith based videos outview your comedy videos almost 20 to one? And wow. I, I didn't know that. She said, yeah, the people are more interested in what you have to say about your faith. So you should write a book. And that's what started the whole process. Um, and it was a contention with me because I'm not a writer. I don't really like writing. That probably brings me back to my high school days when I had the English teachers, um, you know, mock me in class, not because of what I wrote, but because of my laziness. And uh, mm procrastination so anyway um it was salem media saw me at a nrb conference i did some um comedy and um somebody from their office went online and saw my testimony on youtube and said do you have a book around that and i said <laughs> funny you should bring that up my wife keeps picking at that scab you know <laughs> and so anyway, the timing, I don't know. Again, I, and it's funny because I had told my wife recently, I said, do you realize that if this book had come out four or five years ago, it would have just laid flat because I had no platform. I had really, you know, I, you know, I was 
working, but I would have been just selling them at my shows. And um, because of dry bar and they're exposing me to the internet in ways that, I mean, to the masses, uh, you know, instead of 500 Facebook followers, I got 500,000, you know, and, um, again, you look back and you go, it's funny, God's timing. And I also got a little more ambitious when a publisher reached out. And so that, that was done basically. I mean, you don't have to shop it. Yeah. And, um, so we, I just started kind of putting, and then the second draft, the last draft I gave to Tammy and I said, you need to read this and be okay. Cause this is my version of us in that time period. Um, and shared some pretty personal stuff. You know, it's, um, it was interesting. Her insights, um, when we talked about her affair in California, um, she took the word affair out. She said, uh, mm it wasn't an affair. I go, what do you mean? She goes, an affair would give the reader the belief there was something romantic about it. It wasn't romantic at all. I just wanted somebody to be nice to me. You weren't. Yeah. And then things got down a path. She goes, I regret, but, and it, one of the other things that she shared that I didn't even really know about, she, I think she casually mentioned it once, but we were at a, a Bill Gaither event and she was bald from chemo hmm. and um, little well, little old well-meaning ladies, God bless them would come over and go, what sin do you think you committed that God would strike you with cancer? You know? Hmm. And I said, you waited 20 years to tell me this. <laughs> you know? And she says, well, I know you, you would have leaped over the table and started choking old women. <laughs> You know, so I go, well, you know, maybe not that, but I certainly would have gotten in her face about it and said, you need to point out what part of uh, grace and forgiveness and why Jesus went to the cross for me that, um, that you would think this, I said this, you know, cancer is part of the fallen world, just like lust. And, uh, to me, that that's my cancer, you know, uh, that I deal with. So, um, yeah. and alcohol, drugs, you know, it's funny. I made fun of the peanut allergies um you know i said you can't even get a pack of peanuts now because some little joey eight rows back will get some dust on his nostril and drop that on us you know and uh i got an email from somebody that said uh you know i have a peanut allergy you shouldn't be ma-. i said i have an alcohol allergy i drink it i wake up naked next to dumpsters so <laughs> you know I, if you can't mock your own allergies then no, you're you're just you're, you're you're a victim i guess i don't know and i said i'm not taking it out so you know, don't, don't watch me because you think I'm being mean and malicious. I said, you know, it's bad enough. All you get is peanuts on a plane. Now you can't even get that. (laughs) I remember a time when you got a full meal, you know? Yeah. Do you, um, what did you learn about God in in the process? Cause this kind of writing, when you go this deep and this personal, and it's not just, you you know, and I want to encourage everyone to pick up the book because it's not just, it's not just your story, but it's, it's really, it's a look at all of our stories if we choose to use it as such, right? And yeah. you talk a little bit about expectations and about, you know, where you grew up and kind of that tough relationship with your dad. And like, like it, there's so much there. It's got layers and layers. Um, what did you learn about God in the writing process? 
Well, these are great questions. Um, you know, it's funny. I've done five interviews now, and this is, these are some great questions. Thank you, you. You're making me think, you know. I mean, I, I most of it's just, you know, what was with you and the gerbil, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I just like to follow my curiosity. I love, I love, I love the gerbil story, by the way. Um, <laughs> well, now you're going to have to tell it. Now you're going to have to tell it. Answer this question first and okay. then go there. Uh, God, um, I couldn't have done it. Uh, it was it was a it was a painful look, you know, but yeah. also exhilarating to realize. You know, again, it, it starts out with that, you know, you get so far down your journey. You know, it, it, this, you know, the way I look at my walk with Christ was, I had this honeymoon period, this euphoria where I just wanted to share it with everybody. I mean, it was like this the most amazing thing, and then life got hard. I mean, it, it, Tammy got cancer. We, we had, you know, life got hard. And then I'm, yeah. I'm four or five years into this and I'm finding myself doing and saying things that are unbecoming of the man I want to be. And I feel yeah. like nothing's changed. That's that's the voice the enemy yeah. gives us. You're, you're the same. Nothing's going to change. Had an argument with Tammy one day and she said that. She goes, you're just like you were 10 years ago. That cut me like a knife. Yeah. And um, anyway, um, you realize that that honeymoon period is, is, you know, Scott Peck wrote in his book that love, true love doesn't exist without conflict. There's no such thing as a truly loving, conflict-free relationship. And all that euphoria that you experienced early in your relationships was an illusion put there by God to keep the species going. Without that euphoria and all of that, that the attraction, you wouldn't hook up, you wouldn't breed, you know, so you have that, but then conflict enters and then now you have a chance to experience true and genuine love. So all these things that happen in a fallen world is our conflict with our loving creator. And um, mm. you either embrace it as it's just part of a fallen world. And then when you get to heaven, you can ask, why'd you leave it this way? You know, but um, in the meantime, it's not my universe. So I learned that. I learned that everything we went through ultimately led us to Christ. And what's more important than anything was, had I experienced Jesus day one from the time I got sober in recovery, I would have never had the seven years that I lived without him. (laughs) (laughs) Because... The thought of going back to that life and that man, um, it got me through whatever struggle I was having with my nature at the time. Yeah. And uh, the gerbil was part of that. So <laughs> nice segue. Not, is it, you nailed that yeah, segue. I, I, thought, <laughs> I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get to the gerbil story. I guess I'm just going to jump right there. But you did all the work the for me. But that was, uh, you know, again, I always tell audiences, imagine being married to me. You know, we're losing our house at this time. I mean, I, I'm two months behind on the on the mortgage. We just had a car repossessed. Um, I'm moping around. I'm thinking of getting out of comedy, but I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no skills. So um, I'm looking at the kid's gerbil in the bedroom one day, just like for an hour. I mean, an hour, just sitting there, you know, in a chair, looking at it like it's a TV. And Tammy's walked by five or six times at this point, And she finally goes, what's with you and the gerbil? 
And I said, look at it. She goes, it's a gerbil, Jeff. I go, no, but it gets sticks on one side of the crate, and then they bring them over to the other side, stack them up, and then they'll sit there for a while, and he'll spin a wheel, maybe entertain himself, and then he'll start the stick thing again, going to the other side, you know. She said, so what? I go, well, I begin to project my life. That's it. I, you know, we buy a few things. They wear out. We take them to the landfill. You know, we're always buying things. Those are our sticks. If I'm lucky, I get a sitcom deal or movie deal. We make a ton of money and we get really nice sticks. But they always get taken away and put into a landfill. Our, our wheel is Vegas for you and me, maybe Disneyland with the kids or something. But we find ways to distract ourselves and entertain ourselves. But really, all it is about is gathering and changing sticks. And if this is my life for the next 20 years, babe, I'm checking out. And she looked at me and said, you checked out years ago. You know, this <laughs> isn't a first. But I, it was so profound to me because, I, I, you know, we were losing everything and I didn't care and I couldn't understand why. But that's why I didn't care. So imagine the first Bible verse you hear come out of a pastor's mouth is Ecclesiastes 1.1. Meaningless, meaningless, all in life is meaningless. Hmm. My heart just leapt. That was such a deep, profound truth to me. And I thought if that's the first time I ever really cracked the Bible, I, you know, I opened it occasionally in the hotel room, you know, the Gideons and threw it back in the drawer and never got anything out of it. But that hit me. And then you yeah. go down further down into chapter one and Solomon writes 3000 years ago, the eyes never get enough of seeing the ears, never get enough of hearing. And then I'm looking at my video library and my music library. And I'm thinking, you know, he's right about that too. doesn't matter, mm. you know, buy the next thing, you know, and um, basically, out of that first sermon, I got life without God will have no meaning. Without meaning, there's no purpose. Without purpose, suicide. And that's what we're seeing today is an epidemic of purposelessness. This materialism, materialism is left. They can't put words to it. These kids, they can't put words to it. But it's that's what it is. It's Solomon. It's just saying you'll never have enough. And Pascal said it was a God-shaped hole, you know, um, that God will fill it. But it really comes in the form of service, and um, your point and purpose in life will be helping others in whatever way that looks like. And we're pushing on the tour. We're going we're gonna to call it Tikkun Olam. I, I just like the saying of it. It's a, from the Jewish faith, uh, Hebrew, um, that God— God knows he's made a broken world. He knows this, and he's charged the Jews with repairing it. So your tikkun olam is what are you doing to heal the world? What is mm. your tikkun olam? What's your, what's your repair yeah. for the world? And I want to bring it to churches, and I want them to set up tables with community things that can be done, and the church start moving out of the church into the community, but in kind of a and you know, I, a missionary point of way, rather than just being overtly about Jesus, just be overtly about the task, and then let people come to you and ask, "Why are you doing this?" I've been called to do it. Christianity is the only worldview that tells the strong they are obligated to reach back and pick up the weak. Every other worldview says, "Crush them." You know. And it kills me because my kids have embraced that karma and the, the new age thing. And I have explained it to them that the caste system is the most brutal system there is. 
Yeah. Because you see somebody living in their squalor and in their own waste. And you say, well, I can't help you because I'd be messing your, with your karma. You're paying the price for your past sins right now, and I got to let you pay them. Mm. So it lets me off the hook. I don't have to help you. I can turn my back on you. And that's that's brutal. Hey, guys, just pausing this conversation with Jeff to remind you to check out followtoleadcoaching.com. Follow the number two, leadcoaching.com. Follow to Lead Coaching is my brand new coaching and strategic planning business, helping leaders just like you all over the U.S. live into their full identity in Christ. Whether it be what it means to wrestling with what it means to be successful or just how to follow Jesus more closely, I want to work with you. So if you're ready to take the next step in your leadership to dive into a deeper, more personal relationship with Jesus and just overall improve your relationships with the people that matter most, check out my new website, follow the number two leadcoaching.com. Now let's finish up this conversation with Jeff. Do you think that, um, as you see, I, I bet you have a really interesting viewpoint of, of churches across the, the U S as somebody who, who travels so much and has been all over the country. Um, do you find that people's response to serving God is, is different? Is it the same or how is it regionalized? I mean, it feels like the South and the Midwest might be different than the East and the West, but I'm curious to get your perspective on, um, how you think the church in America is doing. This may be an unfair question, just so you know. Oh, it is. I, I don't know. I, I only know the church I go to. Um, yeah. And I just started there. We, we were at a church for about 15 years, and they changed pastors. Our senior pastor, just the founding pastor, was stepping down, and they brought in a young guy. Great story. Uh, he was a heroin addict um, when he came to church. Um, and our pastor was a former heroin addict. Hmm. And so what better, what a, of all the churches in Tennessee that you could go to, this guy wanders into one that has a pastor that's a, a former heroin addict. So anyway, the guy gets yeah. saved and then goes to seminary and works his way up and they hand the pulpit over to him. And we're watching some Sunday online during COVID and um, the new pastor says, we need to get behind BLM and start using our resources to help. Mm. And I looked at my wife and I said, that's the last check I write to this place. I mean, is he even aware that they're a Marxist organization? Their first um, order of business is to destroy the nuclear family. Is he even aware of that? I mean, or is it just this feel good thing, you know? And I said, I don't even care. He's either willfully ignorant or he's ignorant. I mean, so yeah. so anyway, I, that was it for me. And, and again, as far as forgiving him or whatever, I'm, I, you're entitled to whatever you want to preach from the pulpit. But I'm not going to support it with my money or God's money, you know, the way I look at it. So anyway, we were churchless for a while. And then <laughs> it's very funny. We're uh, I'm golfing and they had planted a church in our little town, um, mm. a satellite church. And we had gone to it a couple times. It was at the middle school. Uh, it was just crowded. I mean, you know, so we just started watching online. And then because they were affiliated with the other one, we just stopped. So now I'm golfing in a scramble. This is such a God thing. 
And uh, the guy I'm golfing with starts a conversation with the other two guys who we don't know. And he says, uh, so where are you guys from? He goes, well, we live in Fairview. And I pastor a church there. And um, anyway, I, he, I hear him go, what church is that? And he, and he says it. And I go, that's my church. Apparently, you're my pastor. <laughs> and he had shades on. He had he had sleeves, tats, all you know, up and down his arm, which he never preaches with short sleeves on. So sure. I never knew he had sleeves. And uh, anyway, he's got a hat. He's got shades on. So anyway, he pulls it all off. I go, oh my god, you're my pastor. So we spent four hours together, and uh, I think it was not even a week later. My wife called me into the room on a Facebook video, and he made an announcement that they broke free from that other church, hmm. and they gave them back all their seed money, and they are on their own now. And I wow. uh, and they're building a new building, which turns out to be like three blocks from my house, so I can Praise walk God. to church for the first time. And see, God's preparing me for my old age, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so anyway, I, I it was so nice to get my checkbook out and write a check, and uh, and we have a home. It's called One Church Home now. So That's um, awesome. a, um, and uh, we do small group on Tuesdays uh, with at our house, which we've never done. Uh, but I cannot speak to the state of church. I really can't. I, I do know I just read a book called Woke Jesus, and it's pretty frightening what's going on at, at, at the institutions and um, the seminaries and the um, traditional traditional Christianity has um, apparently been under assault for sure for quite yeah, some time. I don't know anything about it. I you know again I. It's funny. My manager will sometimes go, you need to play dumb. I go, yeah, it's not a hard, it's not a, <laughs> it's not a stretch, you know? I, and again, coming I from a 12 step background, yeah, where you, yeah. you allow everybody to speak their mind and you don't judge and you don't cross talk. Um, I've always felt that maybe church should be anonymous, like, you know, 12 step yeah. programs at the level of press, radio and films, lest you speak for the rest of us, you know? And that's always been my concern. Um, you know, I have moments. I was just sharing the other night on stage in a club of all places. I don't know why I did, but I said I had. A, I've had moments in my marriage um, that if they were ever on video, I would I would no longer have a career. You know, mm. um, just scenes. And I said, what happens is I say something to my wife that uh, that I'm ashamed of, and then the shame kicks in, and then the cycle starts, and then I'm gone. I'm not there anymore. Yeah, and the, all the old tapes come back, and and it runs. 15 to 20 minutes or whatever it is just really psychotic stuff um i don't know you know tammy she's heard it for years so she just i mean she doesn't laugh but she just steps aside and lets me wander around and rant and rave and punch my heavy bag and scream and holler at myself and you know, it's like it's like i'm telling you it's demonic i can't i can't come up with another word for it but if the if the public witnessed it it, sure. it, it would not be flattering and you'd, you know, so to hold somebody to their testimony, um, again, I'm, I'm fortunate, I, I guess I, I don't ever judge people by their worst day. I don't, you yeah. know, I'm probably one of the few people that heard Alec Baldwin's conversation with his daughter and thought, yeah, I'm just glad some of mine haven't been recorded. You know, it's, it's unfair yeah. for him that his daughter recorded it and put it out in public. You know, it's unfair. Now, unless, you know, he does it every day and she's just tired of hearing it. I don't know. But um, church is uh, church. To me, it's, um, 
it's a place to remind myself every every week who's in charge of my life. And then we're, it's interesting. We've been going to church for 20 plus years, but this is the first church we've been to where we're developing relationships with people. Wow. We've never done that. We were at a church once for about four years, and one day there thousands of people are pouring out, and it hits me. I tell my wife, I go, point out somebody we know after four years. Nobody. Nobody. So small group became our introduction to getting to know people. We just we found a group of artists and their wives that were under the radar. So it was nice for Tammy because she was around women who husbands travel. And um, yeah. and then I was able to talk about the road uh, and some of the temptations that are out there. Um, you know, I'm usually good for two or three days. And then by day four, my brain starts chirping to me and stuff. And, you know, so uh, it's just good to be with people that understand that. I bet. I bet. I wanted to um I wanted to read the very last page of the book. Um it some poetry that you wrote and I oh. I I'd love to get your thoughts on it. It's a, it's a beautiful so it's a, it's such an interesting picture of who God is. is well, I'll tell you in, when in I wrote one, it too. It's interesting when I wrote it. So go ahead. Well, in in one moment you you will um, self-profess that you know you've got demons and in the in the next moment these words can come out of your heart and and they read like this who we were is not who we are today we choose to walk a different path so feel free to throw at us the stones of our past we will not deny them but use them to humble us and for today our shield is the lord it is because of who he is and the blood that he shed that we no longer have to run from our past but can embrace it and walk with peace into the future yeah that's beautiful. Yeah, and I don't write poetry. You know where that came? I was probably a believer two months, and I'm watching a Promise Keepers thing on TV. And my mm. notebook was next to me in the bed, and I wrote it down. Mm. I wrote it down as an individual. Uh, who I am is not who, uh, who I am. Uh, who I was is not who I am today. I choose to watch. But for the book, I wrote it. I made it inclusive because the book is about us. But who yeah. we are, yeah. And um, that was it. I've never written a poem since. I've been in Nashville for 25 years. <laughs> I was going to write ask. a song. I was going to ask. I just want one song. One, just get that mailbox money. You know? <laughs> Can't do it. That, Can't that do penny it. on it's that like stream, you got it. I depleted you. That's it, man. That's the one poem you're going to get. And uh, oh, I, my brother wrote one that I, I remember. Um, uh doesn't take words from another man's mouth to tell the world and make it known. This man's a fool, and he did it on his own. Another fire mm. glowing coldly on ice, a losing combination like tossing loaded dice. And in the end, who is lost? The man who borrows time unprepared to pay the cost. Wow. And I've never forgotten that. I, and, and my brother wrote that way back when he was in rehabs. And uh, my brother was a brilliant poet. And um, just life was destroyed by crack and alcohol. And uh, sad, he passed away a couple years ago. And I got so lucky. Um, he was in the hospital, and um, I was home for a couple days. And um, Tammy says, you need to go see your brother. I go, babe, it's an eight-hour drive. 
you know, she says, you need to go see your brother. And I drove up there and uh, spent a day with him. And then two days later, he passed away. Wow. So I was, you know, it's another one of those God things that, you know, doing for you what you cannot do for yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, sending in that, that's that angel, you know, go, you know, get going. But I don't want to. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, that's good, man. Um, okay, I, I have one more question for you. Uh-huh. But before I ask it, uh, I know that uh, all my podcast family are going to want to figure out how they can hook up with you on tour and pick up a copy of the book and learn more about your comedy or even have, have you come out to one of their corporate events or one of their churches. Where's the best place to learn all things Jeff Allen? JeffAllenComedy.com. Um, as uh, all the links are on there uh, for social media and um, uh, the book. Um, JeffAllen.com years ago was a porn site portal. So don't mm. go to JeffAllen.com. I haven't been back, so I don't know if somebody else, somebody else bought it. There's a singer named Jeff Allen, so I don't know if he spent the money. They wanted like, I don't know, $30,000 for me to use wow. my name, you know. But I wasn't, now I could probably legally get it. But anyway, JeffAllenComedy.com. You've been warned, by the way, if your wife catches you on JeffDallin.com. Don't blame Nope. I found JeffDallin.com. No problem. I'm just looking for the comedian. He was a funny guy. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the tours, uh, boy, we're uh, we're hitting the ground running. Uh, the book comes out, and then we're hitting the ground running on Are We There Yet tour. Um, yeah. And I don't quite know what that show is going to look like. I know the first half I said I wanted to do straight stand-up, just get them laughing hard and and then yeah. uh, let them take a break, and then come back, and then we'll um, we'll hit them with <laughs> all that good stuff. Whatever God audience is, you know, if you can get through the first six chapters of the book without killing yourself, it's actually an uplifting tale. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's a great segue into my last question. It's a it's an advice question. I ask you to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice. Except I get to name the season of life that you're in. Okay. And so I want to take you back uh, to the day before you married Tammy. If you could pull up a chair in front of that younger version of yourself, that young man, sit knee to knee with him, hold his hands and look him in the eyes. Now with all the wisdom and the life that you've experienced, what's the one thing you're going to tell yourself? Quit drinking and and uh, embrace Jesus hmm. and go to work. You got a lot of work to do. Amen. But, uh, you know, God's grace will get you through it. Yeah. If I was talking to a child, yeah, I would say you're going to embark on a journey that's going to be at times exhilarating, at times gut-wrenching, at times, but it at every step you'll know you're alive. This is what life is. You know, somebody once said that as children, we gather up things and throw them on a big bag on our back, and we carry that bag with us into our adult life. Now, the lucky ones spend their entire adult life emptying the bag, you know, and um, it gets lighter. The load gets lighter the more you empty. Um, but, it, you know, I wanted to call the book An Examined Life based on, uh, I think it was mm. Aristotle said, an unexamined life is not worth living. But that's yeah. really what it was. It was just, you know, you you... You become so self-centered early in recovery 
because it is all about you. I mean, it's like every little thing I, I, I describe my early versions of my early version of myself in recovery was that I was just a big scab, huge scab. And, uh, everything said to me or done, to, you know, anyway, it would pick at some part of that scab and some kind of pus would ooze out in the form of anger or, or really just biting sarcasm and, and gradually those scabs got a little smaller and smaller. You know, there's still scab. There's still a scab there. And it still gets picked at, but I'm a lot more patient than I ever was. And a perfect example of my newfound patience. We had four grandkids with us for two weeks. And at one point I was sitting in my chair reading a book and all four of them were just running laps around the, the kitchen in the living room, just chasing each other. And I'm just reading the book and Tammy walks by and I look at her. She's just smiling. She goes, wow, how different life would have been if you were like this with our two. I go, yeah. You know, I have said to my boys a thousand times, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, can't, can't fix it, you know. And um, so, yeah, I would tell that, that uh, young guy, you know, uh, patience is a virtue and um, um, embrace Jesus. He is real. He's alive and he's real. And uh, the Holy Spirit will come and counsel, you know. And uh, I, I, know, I know that. I, I don't know if you have time. Yeah. Um, I, the day after... I accepted Christ as, as the Lord of my life. I had my kids with me and I was introduced to Playboy at probably 10 years old. I think my father caught me looking at it and I tried to hide it and he goes, Oh, that's why I bought it. I wanted you to learn about women, <laughs> you know? So from 10 on, you know, Playboy was part of my life. You know, when I got old enough to buy my own, I'd just go in and buy my own. And, and then, even after I was married, you know, Tam, I think Tammy got me a subscription for Christmas one year. I mean, that's where we were at as a husband and wife. Yeah, you know? sure, sure. So anyway, I say, Jesus, I'm yours. So the next day I'm with the kids and I'm in a gas station and um, we're getting gas and I'm getting snacks out of the thing. And I see the new Playboy came out. So I go, oh, I get the new Playboy. And this little voice says to me, this is wrong. <laughs> First time in my life, I I have a, a crisis of conscience over the magazine. Wow. I end up in the back of the store trying to figure out what is going on with me that I can't buy this magazine. And then it dawns on me, that verse, don't worry about this life. I'll send a counselor in the form of the Holy Spirit. This is the new counselor. This is the new conscience. Mm. And I, I walked out shaking my head, going, I, 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 I got to be able to buy Playboy. <laughs> <laughs> I, for the articles, at least, you know, a lot of wisdom in that. But that's, again, you know, it's not, you know, I don't know, churches don't want to hear that. But, it's, but that's kind of what God used to remind me of who I was and now who I am. This is the new, mm. and this is going to be, you know, um, there'd be many of these moments where you used to react and be this way. And now this voice will say, you got to go make amends. You have to, you know, 
and so, and the other one was when the car broke down. Um, this is not my road to the, this is my road to Damascus moment. The car breaks down. <laughs> and for, you know, I always loved, hated things like this because it gave me permission to be angry, which I loved. I was always angry anyway. So at least now I had a righteous reason to be angry. But who can be happy when their car breaks down? Sure. Anyway, I start to think, and I, and I stopped, and I went to my son. Oh, there was a gas station about a mile back. Let's go back and get it. And Tammy looked at me and said, that's it? And I said, I don't know why it just dawned on me. Mechanics pray, too, you know. And <laughs> so I had this image of a mechanic on his knees going, you know, I, I need rent money. Lord, I need yeah. I need work. I need I you know, and so that's how things work. He prays and my car breaks down and it's my turn to donate to the mechanics. And then maybe they come out and see one of my comedy shows, you know. I don't know. But but again, it's not my universe and I, that was enough for me, but it was profound for me. Yeah. Because of that verse, I will send a counselor. You know. So when I, I step out of the out of the bounds of the counselor is when my life gets miserable. Mm. When I deny that voice inside of me that says this is wrong, you know. Tammy and I have a three rule. We've we've tried to buy things, and sometimes we start manipulating the system so we can get them. And every time we've done that, it ended badly, really badly. Mm. So we, if we need to make a major purchase and it gets blocked three times, we just go. God doesn't want us to have this. And we'll just wait. I mean, it's, wow. yeah, we try not to force force our way into our, our worldview, you know. Yeah, I love people. God told me that I, I need to, you know, slap you. You know, I go, I don't think he said that. I think you want to slap me. I think you don't. <laughs> you know, I don't think, not my Lord. You know, he would. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, Jeff, this has been an absolute joy. Thank you well, so thank much you, for your vulnerability and your generosity of time today. And, uh, man, I, I really hope that a lot of the people listening today uh, get out on tour and get to see you and experience oh, I hope the so joy too. of the Lord that you have. Yeah, and I'll so. tell you, man, the shows, I'm having a blast. Uh, the audiences that are coming are just a really mix of millennials and, and old people. And these young guys that open for me, man, they, they initially they make fun of my audience because they're old. And then they, they realize they go, you know, and the wait staffs, God bless my audience. They love my audience. They, there's no fist fights, you know, <laughs> right. you know, it's just, yeah. And the more people come out, the, you know, the club owners just are so complimentary of, mm. of the people. They're polite. They wait, you know, there's, you know, no complaints really. And, um, and they eat Lord knows they eat. Praise the Lord. Yeah. I had the first one I ever did. I, I reached out and the guy calls me. He goes, you didn't tell me these people eat. I'm out of pizza dough. I'm out of chicken tenders. <laughs> you know, and, well, if you, if you didn't just cater to drunks, you know, and <laughs> cater to everybody, you'd know how much food you should keep on hand. So I love it. Well, hey, I, I appreciate the time today, man. Thank you, man. I'll tell you guys, I just loved Jeff's attitude. I loved his personality. He's just kind of one of those guys. He's an old soul. And, uh, he just knows who he is, and I appreciate that. I love the way he talked about adversity and overcoming it, coming back from alcoholism, his love for his wife, and just everything in between. Such a fun story. Uh, I'm working real hard to try to get him and his wife on the podcast at the same time. Um, so we'll see where that goes. 
Do me a favor, guys. Pick up a copy of his latest book, Are We There Yet? Let him know that you heard him here on the podcast. Every time you do that, it goes such a long way to help the guests know that they made a difference in your life or that you gave them something to think about. As always, guys, I'm so thankful for our community here. If there's anything I can do for you, I'm incredibly easy to find at TWMilt on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, uh, TWMilt.com website, course, follow to lead coaching.com. And uh, hey, I'm praying for you guys. I'm so thankful for this community and what God's doing in and through all of you. So that's it for this week, guys. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.